0: Between that and Lost, I was just like, please just take a shit in my mouth. I'll, I'll, I'll accept <laughs> that more than you dicking me around for five years and then doing this to me.
1: Radio Drone. Welcome to another Wasted 55 Minutes on a Thursday night. I'm Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is Cecil T. Robot. Si, senor. Who has apparently got the Mexican settings turned on. And Alex will not be joining us this week, but our old friend and road scholar himself, the the guru of film, the man who runs the projection booth, Mike White, is here with us. Did I Did I suck your dick enough on that one, Mike?
0: Uh, I co-run in. I'm not the, the big cheese. I'm I'm half of the cheese. Fine,
1: fair enough. Swiss cheese? Yes. <laughs> um, no, this is a show for Americans. Damn it! You are American cheese. Maybe cheddar. American cheese. Merkin bitch. <laughs> it, it tastes like cigarette smoke and meth. Let's get the Adam and Eve promo out of the way. Go to adamandeve.com, use the promo code DROME to get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free mystery gift, and free U- U.S. shipping. That shipping to U.S. is free. Screwed that up, but we'll see. What I wanted to talk about tonight was what kind of shifted in, when I use the term genre, I'm talking sci-fi, fantasy, horror, etc., how it used to be seen as you know that kid's stuff. But like in, in the movies... You didn't have serious science fiction films very often in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And then when Star Wars hit, it became more acceptable to the mainstream. And then it dipped back again. And then now with comic book movies, like like being a geek is totally in now. Why do you think the genre in general keeps changing?
0: Well, I would think that actually a little bit before star wars i would think that 2001 kind of helped bring a lot of legitimacy to the genre and that it had been seen as kind of buck rogers-ish and everything probably more by the mainstream but i mean it was really kind of a haven for a lot of intellectuals there was a lot of great writing going on i mean the 50s and 60s were filled with wonderful wonderful stuff i mean the, the the forties as well, but I mean really you had kind of a, a just a, a terrific time for science fiction, especially the writing and a lot of the the different media. I mean the I, I'm all about the, you know, rocket men on the moon kind of stuff. So I was uh I, I love always, that old pulp stuff too. You know? Yeah. I was happy to go back and see that. Two thousand one probably brought it out of the ghetto a little bit and more into the mainstream. Took it from that, you know. George McFly reading, um, comics, uh, you know, in the privacy of his own room to kind of being more of something that was acceptable. And I don't know if that was, you know, drug culture (laughs) that helped that, or if it was just kind of more, maybe you gotta
1: uh, be high to accept the aliens,
0: man. Well, you know, it was quite a big thing to uh, line up for those last 30 minutes of 2001. And it was definitely one of the first, you know, quote unquote, head movies. So folks were really into that kind of stuff. And then after that, I mean, we did have uh, quite a renaissance. I mean, there was still cheese galore. Yeah, after that, I mean, you were able to kind of mix your bigger ideas with your science fiction uh, a little bit more out in the open, as it were. So you could do a silent running, which... God knows I would never go back and watch that movie again, but you could do boring science fiction.
1: Joan that. Baez on the soundtrack. Oh, God.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I've tried to watch that movie so many times, and just every time I'm like, God, this is boring as hell. But do you I don't know. Did I answer the question? Yes. I think
2: in general, um, it's the... The, the, a lot of the movies and and stuff, I would say not so much the, the books and everything, but I mean, the, the general public, the perception of science fiction was kid stuff because a lot of what was being portrayed was Flash Gordon and, you know, serialized fiction that was done very cheesy and very cheaply. And so there was just this uh, idea that, ah, you know, that stuff's for kids. And then, uh, again, I don't, you know, like Mike said, I don't know if it was 2001, but that seems like it probably would have been a good point of when it was like, oh, wait, we can have a story that is like really serious and engaging.
1: I'm going to stop you there. 2001 doesn't have a story. It's not engaging. And it might be adult science fiction. But it's, it's an art house film that has no story or characters.
0: Well, it definitely has a story. I mean, yes. the whole idea of the aliens giving us the monolith and that kind of being the signal, the signpost that we're ready to move on to the next generation, you know, leaving it on the moon and that pointing the way to Jupiter and then going out there to the next barrier. So I definitely see that there's quite a story to the film. That takes up about twenty minutes of the two hour and a half hour runtime. I'm sorry, oh, yeah. I hate
1: I hate 2001. It's one of the most Mike, you couldn't get through Silent Running again. I think 2001 is one of the most pretentiously boring films I've ever sat through. I like it, and that's fine. You can like it. I'm not disparaging you for liking it. I'm just saying I don't. I disagree with Cecil on that.
2: No, it's it's fine. I can. It's one of those movies where yes, I can understand people not liking it because it is slow and it is. I, I don't. Mm, if if you're into it then you are full on into it but if you just aren't really into that kind of thing if you you know i mean cuz it is i agree it is an art house film it's an art house film that i think is it works and it is one of those pivotal moments in cinematic history where they did things differently and it changed the way that you know films were being made for a while so I mean there is there's a good possibility that movies like Star Wars and whatnot may not have been able to be greenlit if not for uh, 2001 coming along but I think that uh, it sure when you when you look back on it now it is very slow and and uh, just not uh, as as engaging as some things are now, but then there are stuff now that everybody talks about how much they love and it's, oh God, it's just, it's, everything happens and it's, and and that I find boring because they try too hard to keep your attention. And by doing that, they lose me because they just shove too much at you. And it's just like, I don't give a crap about any of this. So Going back to what the original question was, mainstream audiences started looking at science fiction differently because that was such a serious production
1: as opposed to the kind of swashbuckling, kitty stuff that we had gotten prior. Well, for instance, and I can't disagree with you on the 2001 being kind of the, the shifting point, because just the year prior, you had Barbarella, a movie that is pretty goofy, pretty over the top and pretty ridiculous, and then you had 2001, and it sort of changed everything. But then you had this dip again in the 90s where sci-fi was goofy again. So why? do you think it goes generationally? Like the people who they grew up watching Tarantula on the late night movie, that they're the ones who said, I want to do something better. And then... do you think this does have ebbs and flows with the generations like how in the 1980s and 1990s comic book movies could not be taken seriously by the mainstream whereas now they seem to be the mainstream
0: every idea every good idea should definitely feed on those that kind of come before it i mean there there's that whole idea of These ebbs and flows that you're talking about and the the influence of things. And it's not just, you know, seeing a movie and having that inspire you. I mean, something like, you know, a stranger in a strange land coming out in 61, I mean, that kind of fueled. So many different ideas that were already kind of percolating and just, you know, being able to take science fiction and and apply it to more of the youth culture, that kind of stuff. And that's, you know, early sixties going into, you know, later sixties and everything. So, but yeah, um, I'm trying to think of what science fiction was like in the 1990s, because I, I definitely know that when we get into something like the matrix, I mean, that again, was taking a lot of ideas that were already pre-existing and kind of, you know, mixing them up. I mean, just using Yuan ping as the fight coordinator and everything and pulling in a lot of the Hong Kong action stuff that we had seen earlier in the 90s into that style of filming and then, you know, adding the science fiction elements onto it. So I'm trying to think of uh of where you're coming from with like the goofy science fiction in the 90s. I'm I'm sure there's tons that I'm not thinking of right now, but I I'm just trying to uh figure out where you're from
1: for that for the 90s it was a a lot of the tv stuff sci-fi on tv and this hadn't gone to cable yet so this was still relatively network was goofy pre-x files really it was like uh, cbs's space rangers i liked the show It, it was an adult themed show that was shot like it was made for 14 year olds And you you had things like that where you had the network TV stuff which kind of said, well, Max Headroom didn't work aimed at an adult audience. Let's aim a little bit lower because they're the people who are going to see the new Star Trek movies and the people that are going to to all these sci-fi movies. Because other than horror, which might be the only thing that really really gives it a run, science fiction has always been a box office winner yet has always been kind of the... on the low scale of the critical end when it comes to movies. People, oh, that sci-fi stuff, oh, that horror stuff. Like how Paramount was always ashamed of the Friday the 13th movie series, despite that being some of their biggest moneymakers throughout the 80s. They were always ashamed of it. 20th Century Fox didn't even give Star Wars a push. They, They literally sold it. Go back and look at the first trailer. They sold Star Wars as a kid's movie. They sold this to 14 to 17 year olds. You know, it was like this idea that science fiction is not for adults. If you want that, then you go and read Frederick Pohl and Heinlein and Ellison. But movie science fiction is for kids.
2: Kind of like video games now, even though they are some of the biggest money makers out there going with science fiction stuff, science fiction movies are almost always some of the biggest money makers out there, but there's still just the notion that, oh, it's kid stuff. Oh, only kids go to see that. And it's ridiculous because time and time again, it's proven that that's not the case, that there are people of all ages that love good science fiction and, you know, to that extent, video games. But science fiction has, good science fiction has always had mass appeal and sometimes maybe it doesn't do well theatrically for whatever reason bad marketing or it released at the wrong time
1: in all honesty i'm surprised star wars made the money it did those early trailers and tv spots were terrible they they oh, did yeah. not sell the movie well at all
2: well they were too busy selling uh, damnation alley like that was the big movie that they, that paramount was pushing and then um it was wait it was paramount right 20th Century, Fox. Fox, 20th Century Fox, sorry, 20th Century Fox. Brain farted there. Yeah, 20th Century Fox was too busy pushing Do- uh, Damnation Alley because they sunk so much money into it. Oh, yeah, we got this other movie coming out. Blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, Star Wars ended up being massive and saved the studio from going bankrupt because they sank so much money
0: into Damnation Alley. I don't know. I. I it feels like we're kind of hopping all over the place here, especially going from, you know, we're talking so many different, types of media talking about books comic books video games movies television shows and it's like every media has its own high points and low points and sometimes they coincide and sometimes they don't i mean i don't necessarily agree with a lot of these points as far as you know science fiction being poo-pooed or or video games or anything i mean video games are probably the most viable economic investment going right now i mean amazon just plunked in like i don't know how many millions of dollars to buy a channel where you can watch people play video games so 960 million yeah so there's big bucks going on here so i don't see this as being ghettoized you know and so i'm just having a little bit of a a hard time wrapping my head around where we're coming from with this stuff and i'm thinking like oh science fiction wasn't good on tv in the 80s and 90s well that's when next generation was on so you know and then also we're kind of mixing genre lines talking about horror with the x-files versus science fiction so
1: i think the x-files qualifies as both horror and science fiction honestly depending on what they were doing that week
0: yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that. But then I, I think to myself, it's like, okay, well, X-Files wouldn't have existed without Kolchak back in the early 70s. So it's like, it's, again, that kind of feeding upon itself. Now, Kolchak didn't last for very long, and but there were also, it's like kind of the zeitgeist thing where you had the, you know, the Norless tapes and all these different things happening all at once back then. And it just kind of took a little while for it to all kind of catch up and catch on. I mean, but there have been paranormal investigators you know, throughout pretty much the, you know, other than, you know, we can talk about uh, going back all the way to the murders in the morgue and everything. So it's like there's these threads and it just takes a while for things to kind of catch up and catch on and, you know, hit that nerve with the, you know, the, the, the pop culture. So well, I don't like, know.
1: I... I, I, like one of the things I'm thinking of is like V, the original V miniseries in 1983, how Kenneth Johnson sold that series to NBC was, There was no science fiction element at first. He just wanted to make a contemporary telling of it can't happen here, of the rise of modern fascism in 1983 America. And he could tell during the pitch meeting that he was losing the executives. They started doodling and whatnot, and he could tell he was losing them. And he's like, "But okay, so it's the rise of Nazis, but the Nazis? Are from space," he said. He literally saw their eyes light up. Some of them picked their head up, like, "Yeah, yeah." And then how it was finally sold, how he had to sell it was, "You have the fascism; it can't have an here angle for mom and dad." And this is the part, and the sci-fi element to get the kids—that it was still the sci-fi is for the kids, like that kind of thing. I I don't know if you'd be able to sell V that same way today.
2: I honestly think that uh if they would have done v the way that he wanted to do it it would have been a mini series and then that's it but because of the science fiction angle that they put in there and it was so just cool at the time like i it i don't know it really hit a nerve and uh i i watched it then and uh i still love it um you know even the tv you know the this you know, one season tv series that came after the two worthless mini-series.
1: after michael ironside quit well <laughs> i wouldn't the say the star worthless. child
0: really bothered me <laughs> <laughs> and Jennifer that's why. Yeah, well,
1: well, the, the, the star. Child, but I mean, she
2: was at, you know, the end of the of the final battle. So but she was the main uh,
1: character in the TV show played by Jennifer yeah. Cook.
2: Mm hmm. But I mean, st- what I'm what I'm saying is that it didn't I don't know, it didn't it didn't ruin it for me. But uh, I, I mean, yeah, definitely the show could have been stronger, but um, it never really got a chance to. But at least they gave it a full season. That was back when, you know, a show, they would at least give it a season before they would cancel it. Now, two episodes in, they'll can it. I, I just think that that's the thing. Had they have not added the science fiction angle, it would have come out. It would have been a miniseries and it would
1: be promptly forgotten. You know, if you really,
0: if you miss V, and I know that there was that horrible remake of it a little while ago. I gave but... up
1: three episodes into that one. That entire thing was an indictment of the Obama administration. It was nice. so paper thin that it annoyed me.
0: Well, right now, I mean, they're still showing Falling Skies, and basically that has turned into V. So, uh, if you miss V, go back. I mean, this season, they have the star child again, so.
1: Seriously? Really... Yeah. I watched the first two seasons and really they, they went like supernatural and uh, oh, I mean, oh,
0: that, oh yeah. that's
1: disappointing, Mike. Thanks for ruining my night.
0: Yeah, no problem. I quit watching it, um, about three, four, uh, episodes ago because I just, I couldn't, couldn't hack it. So again, cyclical, same idea as just kind of being repackaged and called something else. So as far as V goes, I mean, I, I, didn't know any of the backstory to it. I was in fourth grade when it came out and I just remember the day after what was her name? Diana, after she ate the rat. I mean, the whole school the guinea pig, the whole school was just a Twitter talking about that scene. I mean, we were all watching V at the time.
1: I watched that first run too, but then like Mike, you brought up the kind of you're you're relabeling it or calling it something else. This goes back to my initial question of like the stigma, like how horror, the term horror, has a stigma when it comes to critics and especially to like the Academy Awards and whatnot. Until the last couple of years, horror films rarely, if ever, got nominated for Academy Awards. And when they did, for instance, when Silence of the Lambs was up for all of those awards in 91 – MGM went out of their way to tell people this is not a horror film. It's a suspense thriller.
0: How do you get all your friends to get baptized? Just so you can make a monster movie. It's not a monster movie. It's a supernatural thriller.
1: They even got mad at Fangoria for calling it one of the best horror films of the year. An MGM representative was like, no, 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 it's not horror. That, like, horror has the stigma that, no, 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 no. We want, no, this is for adults. This is not a horror movie. This is a suspense thriller.
0: I have to disagree with you again because the Academy Awards in 1969, I mean, Ruth Gordon won for Rosemary's Baby and the screenplay well, and was the nominated. Exorcist
1: and The Exorcist, I, I mean, it does happen, but rarely it happens. I, don't happened know. I think you're weird.
0: casting this wide net, like, oh, it's so stigmatized. And I frankly, I think it's kind of bullshit where you're coming from.
1: That's fair enough. You don't have to agree with me, Mike. Good. I don't. <laughs> what about you, Cecil? Do you agree with me or Mike? It's either I, one I, or I, the other.
0: You're either You don't get a middle ground, dammit.
1: I agree with
0: myself. This is the George Bush tactic. <laughs> <laughs> either you negotiate against with, us.
1: I don't negotiate with whites.
2: <laughs> I, I you know what? Uh, I will say that Horror has weird assertions that come up. In general, there are horror fans and they're looked upon as hardcore horror fans. But when the weird things will happen, like when Saw came out and then Hostel, and then all of a sudden people started attributing them as as torture porn. These, these movies are nothing more than torture porn, when really, if you go back and watch the original Saw, there's not a lot of violence in it, and it's a, more in your head than anything. Now, the later sequels did include more
1: violence, and they kind of kept upping the ante. But I think the later ones got gratuitous. I think that's the word you're looking for. Yeah, the
2: later ones got gratuitous. That no, Not this quote-unquote torture porn that everybody is, is, is so freaked out about, about how they're pushing the envelope. They need to start going back and watching Audition, uh, bo- uh, what was it, Flowers of Flesh and Blood. If you really want to see something that you are going to call torture porn, I then
0: watch serious? something that is absolutely disgusting. Grotesque. Grotesque. I mean, Saw wouldn't have existed without Seven to me you know it, it was just as i watched saw the first time i was like like boy screenwriter really likes seven a lot but it, it i will say okay coming at this from a different angle i will say that there have been times where horror has really gotten a bad rap, especially thinking of like the early eighties, thinking about the whole, you know, oh, these kids who watch horror films go out and they shoot up schools or they shoot themselves in the head with shotguns, these kind of things. So I will definitely agree that there is a stigma attached to some of the fans a and eating its tail a little bit there as far as what is the blame. Is it the movies? Is it the kids? What is it? So There are times where the films will get this bad rap, and especially that seems to be the thing, maybe we're getting past it, I doubt it, but uh, there's always that whole, what can we blame kind of thing. And other than Canada, a lot of times it is movies, it's the music, it's the video games, it's this whole, oh, they're being desensitized to violence and everything. I imagine that you know the same thing happened all the way back with you know, the, the ten cent Plague and everything with the, the blaming of the comic books for juvenile delinquency. So I will say that I agree with you that there is a stigma attached to these by certain elements in society.
1: Okay. Well, what about then when sci-fi – in the case I'm going to bring up sci-fi TV, when it goes out – when it tries to hit an audience that might not want it? For example, Battlestar Galactica, the 2003 series. During the writer's strike a few years ago, Universal owns both NBC and the Sci-Fi Channel. And this being a Sci-Fi Channel original, they decided during the writer's strike to air Battlestar Galactica on NBC in prime time. And it tanked. The ratings were abysmal. The ratings were almost a quarter of what it got on Sci-Fi. So after three or four weeks, they moved it off of NBC and back to the Sci-Fi Channel, where the ratings went up precipitously. The Sci-Fi Channel only has a limited reach. NBC has a nationwide reach. Why would the ratings be worse on the network that can get it out the largest? It was almost like the fans said, I don't know, Battlestar Galactica doesn't feel right on NBC. I'll watch it on Sci-Fi.
0: I have no idea why that would be the case. That's what (laughs) happened. I don't know why. No opinion. (laughs) I just I feel I still feel very cheated by Battlestar Galactica.
1: Oh, that ending, yes. Yeah,
0: I I haven't seen it yet. (laughs) Yeah, Cecil
1: hasn't seen it yet,
0: so don't wreck it for him. I know I'm I'm a little late. Between that and Lost, I was just like, please, just take a shit in my mouth. I'll I'll (laughs) I'll accept that more than you dicking me around for five years and then doing this to me.
2: It's such an oddity. I think that probably uh, the, the general public just there are certain channels that uh, certain fans just won't go to. Like like I know me myself, the majority of the shows that I watch are not on three, six and ten. And so there's the possibility that if a show that I was watching did make the move over, if I didn't know about it, like, I don't know, I may not have followed it over. So there's probably a lot of people that, uh, when Battlestar Galactica went to NBC or whatever, didn't realize it. You know, it was, hey, it's not on Sci-Fi tonight. All right, because there, there's a lot of people that just won't change the channel. That's why um, a lot of the old networks used to have those blocks, the TGIF and all that, because they would they would put like the really popular show at the end of the night, so that people would tune in at eight o'clock and would watch through straight till eleven. You know, because God forbid, you know, oh, my God, they're going to change the channel. So I think that that was probably it. It was a lot of people just didn't even
0: realize that uh, it went to a major network. Yeah, they would have the hammock shows where it was, you know, you had Cosby show at eight, you had cheers at nine. So then something like a different world could actually exist, you know, at 830, because otherwise you throw that on at eight o'clock or nine o'clock. Nobody's watching that. It was a horrible show. But because it's between two good shows.
1: NBC tried that in, uh, like, 1988 with Beverly Hills Bunts, the Hill Street Blues spinoff. It went from an hour-long drama to a half-hour-long dramedy with no laugh track or anything, so they paired it with the Golden Girls. And you just go, "Uh, I wonder why no one watched that Hill Street Blues spinoff on Saturday nights in the comedy block, right? But then you've, you've got also the now major acceptance of comic books, Like, you know, comic books have gone mainstream, and I've bitched about this before, so this part's nothing new. I can't stand the fact that people will not call them comic books. They're graphic novels. That somehow oh, I read graphic novels. And you see this in the marketing all the time. Based on the graphic novel of this, you go, um, that was sixteen issues released through you know, monthly for a year and a half. That's not a graphic novel. That's a comic book. What, why can't you call it a comic book? Major comic book creators like Alan Moore and even Frank Miller pre-Insanity have come out against the term. That they, They're like, we write comics. What, where, where the hell is all this? Oh, no, no, it's a graphic novel. Where's all this come from? Is that sort of a, I would feel ashamed liking the Avengers as a comic book movie, but I can like it if it's based on a graphic novel. Uh,
2: I've always had a definitive difference. Like, comic books, like, I don't have any issue with, with saying, you know, comic books. Uh, uh, any whatnot.
1: issue, I see what you did.
2: Uh, hey, I didn't even realize that. Let's see what I did there, not even knowing. I don't have issue with saying comic books, but I have always gone under the guise that a comic book is a single issue, a compilation of issues is a... um trade paperback a trade paperback thank you and a graphic novel is something like watchmen or something uh like no no, no. alan
1: moore has outright said watchmen is a comic book he got
2: pissed.
0: alan moore's an asshole though well
1: he he is but but since it's his creation i think he has a little more weight to this when uh, i think it was time magazine released the the hundred greatest novels of all time and watchman was the only comic book on it and they kept calling it a graphic novel he's like where are you people getting this i'm a comic writer i wrote a comic book knock it off
0: i don't know i think he's getting a little carried away i'm fine calling them graphic novels and it sounds a lot more mature than comic book and i don't read comic books because i can't afford to buy single issues anymore i mean once they got up to a dollar i quit buying comic books Damn, that and was now a while i will ago, buy like
1: 295 now
0: Mike. yeah exactly so i will buy the occasional graphic novel or trade paperback to me those are interchangeable so whatever i mean i, I think you're getting caught up on semantics there it's just one of those things that bugs me so much because there I've are actually... so many things that bug you though josh <laughs> <That's> <laughs> thank why you i
1: exist I was... if you didn't say it i was gonna
0: i believe the term is comic book not graphic <laughs> novel Oh, I'm not I, I, called I, graphic I, novel guy. My name is I, I, comic I'm book going, guy. I'm going. I'm
1: going to quote from Frank Miller again,
0: pre-insanity. Oh God.
1: Yes. yes I, I said pre-insanity. You're,
0: you're really bringing out all the big guns when it comes to a-hole artists.
1: I <laughs> <laughs> didn't next... bring up Terrence Malick once or Mike White. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, he, he said the difference between a, calling some, it a graphic novel or a comic book is a difference between a lady of the evening and a prostitute. They're the same thing and you get to the same place. You just feel a little bit better about yourself for going to a lady of the evening than a prostitute. It's all about making the buyer feel better. It's all about people self-inflating their own. Because I've actually run into people that I don't read comic books. I read graphic novels. Yeah, then why do you have the newest Batman and Superman issues? They're graphic novels. No, they're not. Quit being pretentious. Do you think that that how we have we have kind of changed by we I mean pop culture has kind of changed the way people look at this stuff in general and I mean the people who are not part of it for instance like your average joe off the street like one of the one of the things that Bonnie Hammer did when she ran sci-fi channel into the ground creatively not ratings wise was she wanted to get rid of shows like farscape because you had to remember what happened for the last 6 episodes to follow it She wanted, and I'm quoting again, your average guy working at a construction site to come home and just be able to enjoy himself for a half hour watching our channel. What she was basically saying is these can't be smart because that requires continuity. That requires making the person think. She kind of wanted like Joe Sixpack to enjoy science fiction. And that's what she gave them with crap like Stargate SG-1 and some of the other sci-fi channel originals. Do you think that you have to dumb it down to get the mainstream to like it or just market it differently
2: it's it's a weird science that goes into getting mainstream attention because sometimes things that are really incredibly intelligent and well constructed will just endear themselves into the mainstream look at breaking bad breaking bad is a phenomenally well-written and well-acted, well-everything-put-together show, and it attained massive mainstream success. Whereas something that is complete trash garbage, like Desperate Housewives, also achieves the same level of success. It's odd, you know? You never know what really is going to hit. Because, I mean, there have been a lot of amazing, uh, well-constructed, well-put-together things that just fail miserably because they can't, uh, you know, tack into the mainstream. Uh, or get a niche going at all? Was was she the, the lady who
1: decided to bring in wrestling on freaking sci-fi? Yes, Bonnie Hammer wanted to make her her ideal, and this is what I've gotten from insiders that I've interviewed, and just from reading various various interviews with people. She basically wanted a sci-fi channel for the everyman, not for the sci. Because the she sci-fi channels ratings were stagnant. They weren't going down, but it was basically, we have the sci-fi audience and we can't survive off that. We need to now get people who don't watch sci-fi to start watching the channel. She's the one who also got rid of all the educational programming on that channel, because your average Joe Sixpack doesn't want to have to learn. He wants to watch shit explode and a bunch of oily men roll around on the mat with each other and scream at each other with their mouths open wide in a totally heterosexual way.
2: Ugh. Yeah, something like that, they don't get that consistency is so much better than explosive growth. Because, you know, you'll have that burst, and then, you know, after a little while, they'll go back to watching something else.
1: No, actually, I hate to say this, Bonnie Hammer was right. There's a reason she kept getting promoted. As she got rid of the hardcore sci-fi fans and started dumping all of the hardcore sci-fi shows, the ratings went up dramatically. And stayed from up an, from an, yeah, from an executive level, she made the right move from a creative level, she drove the channel into the ground.
2: <sighs> well, I mean, then as much as it sucks, and as much as you know you and I don't like it, then she did the right thing. It's terrible and it's awful, and it really messed up the what the channel was doing, but I mean it, it kept it on the air, I guess.
0: I mean, it's like History Channel and what, Travel, and I mean, all these channels that were supposed to be dedicated to one thing, and now it's like, you know, I mean, what the hell? Arts and Entertainment Channel is showing, I don't remember who plays Duck Dynasty, but it's on the wrong channel. You I, know. I think
1: that is A&E. To okay. me, the History Channel, and I, I love that both movies were on it, but I knew they were on a decline when they, History Channel, showed the Road Warrior and Planet of the Apes in the same week. It kind of went, I don't remember that from history. Interesting. Yeah.
0: yeah. So, I mean, it, yeah, it, it's just, uh, it, it's the sad state of, of, you know, all this programming is just being kind of, you know, leveled rather than us having the ability to have these niche channels where it's like, you know, you want history, you go to the history channel, you want biography. I mean, biography used to be the biggest program that they would show on A&E. And now it's like, who does that anymore? Nobody that it's I know of. Used
1: to have behind the music. Do they even yeah. still do
0: that? MTV used to show videos.
1: Yeah. You know? the, the culture changed, which to a degree I can say that's why, but I also think like using the Bonnie Hammer example, the only way she could find success was to dumb it down. Is that the way science fiction or the genre with being fantasy and horror should be accepted. I mean, you know, it kind of comes down to, like, Doctor Who. I I don't watch modern Doctor Who, but I've seen it explode in popularity to the point where I start to go, these are the same people that 10 years ago would have never watched a 1985 Doctor Who episode, but because it's cool now, now it's okay for them. I almost see it as a little bit of hipsterism, both on my part and on theirs. Are you seeing
0: what I'm seeing? I'm, I'm trying to remember what the name of it was but yeah i know that um oh god why can't i remember that little guy's name Patton oswald has written extensively as far as this whole co-opting of geek culture and yeah it's the same thing i mean an Avengers movie is, you know, top box office. I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy, number one film for 2014. Ten years ago, that would have been unheard of. You know, this whole idea of the way that Marvel has marketed itself and changed and, you know, adapted and all this. I mean, it's, it's great that they have... Been able to do that at the same time. I think that our culture has been moving towards that you know, idea. I don't know if it's this kind of democratization of the internet kind of effect or what it is, but yeah, definitely. Geek is cool, Mike. Yeah, geek has become chic. So it's like, okay, you know, and in, in now you're trying, you know, people get upset about that. They want to, you know, reclaim geek culture or at least different aspects of it. And there's always going to be those, you know, the niches out there where you can still enjoy yourself you know you can go back and you know say well blake seven was the real cool thing that's where you know the 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 cool kids should be watching that or watching the original hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy not that sh- movie that was made a few years ago so everybody's going to be able to still have their little piece but it's 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 going to make josh hadley really mad that geek culture has been co-opted by the mainstream
2: there's a, a meme that I, I love. Um, it's it's this really pretty girl, and she's uh, holding up her hand, and it, her hand says nerd on it. And the meme is, I absolutely love Pokemon. And then at the bottom, my favorite one is the yellow animal. So... <laughs> <laughs> So it's it's like it is this weird thing where you get all these people that are are now into stuff like Pokemon and Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, I love these things. They're great. I never heard of them 5 minutes ago, but they're the greatest thing ever and I've been a fan for years. So it it is become the whole geek is cool, geek is chic whatever. And uh it, it's 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 weird because even though there is still this stigma of geeks that are uh, they're in their parents basement and they they just uh you know haven't shaved and they smell but then there's basically also basically your story yeah basically me i'm i'm living in my parents basement and i smell and uh <laughs> despite despite the fact i'm in my own house with my wife and kid but the general the the, the thought of the general populace is still geeks are losers but then you look at the mainstream and there are people that are kind of taking the uh hot topic approach of where it is it is cool to be this thing some people still look at as nerdy it's a
0: very weird thing to be in fighting about who's the bigger nerd you
1: yeah, well, and and to a degree i realize i am kind of a i don't want you in my club kind of guy but to me it it did, it was more special when you discovered this stuff when it wasn't mainstream because as we pointed out with like the Bonnie Hammer example on that, when it goes mainstream, it becomes watered down, and I think that hurts every all the entire genre as a whole. And I you may or, may or may not disagree with me, I think something like being you know a hardcore Trekkie is something that really doesn't belong in the mainstream. And when it does get there, yes, yeah, Saturday Night Live and that had their Star Trek parodies and they did it right, and in living color it had some really good ones. But in general, when you see like a Star Trek parody on a TV show, it's somebody who sampled two episodes and decided, yeah, now let's make fun of this because it's cool. I can't stand the because it's cool thing. And there are people who will yell and go, hey, it doesn't matter why they're reading comic books now. It doesn't matter why they're reading Guardians of the Galaxy. Just that they are. That should be the goal. I don't think just because it's cool should be the goal. Am I so out of touch, Mike?
0: Yes. You're becoming old man Josh.
1: You're older in my than me. Day,
0: in my day, it was so much better. And no matter what, that's the what people 10 years older than us are saying, and that's what t- people 20 years older than us are saying. In my day, it was so much better. In my day, you only had three channels, so everybody watched the same damn programs, and we would all have the same conversations the next day around the water cooler. So, and now it's all fragmented. It's all ruined. So everybody has Damn this whole... And you kids. Yeah. It's so much better for me. That in, and you kids have ruined it. So I don't know. I, I don't see... If you want your geek culture, if you want your cool stuff, it's out there. You just have to dig a little harder now.
1: I don't know. I, I think I I realized that geek culture went too far into like the hipster area when... I see Tor Johnson's face on T-shirts and people that are like, oh, this is worse than an Ed Wood movie. Oh, yeah, what what Ed Wood movies have you seen? I don't know. I just heard he's like a really, really bad director. That's the kind of thing I'm seeing from today's youth. That's where I'm coming from. Well,
2: I mean, not to give myself a shameless plug, but that's one of the reasons why I started my show was to go into the misconceptions of things. Like there are so many people that are, oh, that movie is the worst movie ever. Oh, really? Did, Did you see it? What didn't you like about it? Well, no, I never saw it, but I heard it was the worst thing ever. And there was this just general notion that if somebody heard it sucked, well, it automatically sucked. You know, they didn't have to bother to see it themselves to decide whether or not they perhaps liked it. That is kind of the the thing that's been co-opted into just the mainstream is that whatever the general populace thinks is what obviously is what it is. So um, with the Tor Johnson thing, I mean, you know, you, you can go to, you go to the mall, you'll see uh, all this stuff from years ago that's now being made into hoodies. They're doing it because nostalgia is selling even though they weren't around when it was going on.
0: It reminds me of, you know, you're in high school and you're enjoying, you know, your your specific brand of music or whatever. And then you see the kid that comes in and he's wearing, you know, the brand new, you know, Sex Pistols t-shirt or whatever it is. And you're just like, oh, what a poser. And it's like, it's always going to be that way. You know, we're going to see. I mean, hell, I saw Domokun shit for sale at uh, Target a couple weeks ago. Oh, okay, you know, I would like to have that stuff. That's really cool because I like Domokun, but it's like, you know, but now like little kids are, you know, carrying their books to school in domacoon uh you know knapsacks and stuff it's like okay yeah this really has reached the mainstream so you know it, it's always going to be happening all this stuff is always going to be bubbling up and you know, when uh you see occasional nods here and there it's like okay that, that's kind of cool you know like i'm trying to think just the other day i was watching um some kids show and they happen to make a, a reference to like a lemon party and i'm like okay that's pretty funny. <laughs>
1: so i've seen it, th- mike i brought this up scanners retrospective. i've seen an episode of recess on nickelodeon that had a scanners reference right like so who, what what audience yeah. member gets that besides and, the dad
0: and i love that kind of subversive stuff but at the same time it's that whole idea of you know if you saw that constantly then it becomes you know being embraced by the mainstream but if you just see that kind of subversive stuff in there then it's like okay you know catching references to the ruby of omar khayyam in the old bowling episodes like these kind of things it's like okay that's pretty darn cool but then you know at some point it crosses the line and i think the older we get the less tolerant we are of that kind of stuff well i think
1: it also does come to that kind of ironic thing Because, like, I mean, I can't speak for either of you, but I'm going to assume you guys had similar experiences. When we watched, like, the old Universal flicks, especially the later ones from the 40s, or, like, Plan 9 from Outer Space and whatnot, we watched them because it was just a cool black-and-white movie and whatnot. Now they're watched because, oh my god, this movie is so bad, you have to see it. Now, Cecil, you have a movie, you have a show called Good Bad Flicks, fair enough. On the other token... I don't like watching movies that are so bad they're good. Yes, if a movie turns out to be bad, it's bad. That's one of the reasons I avoid the asylum. I don't get into the whole, oh my god, this movie has the worst effects I've ever seen. I'm loving it. I go, this movie has the worst effects I've ever seen. I'm turning it off. I think there is a certain irony that is lost on my bitter, crusty soul.
2: Well, I mean, I don't. Uh, look at every single Asylum film and automatically love it. Uh, actually, I dislike the vast majority of them because they are really poorly put together and bad special effects. You could tell that they're they're slapped together in like two but weeks. But in a
1: way, th- that's what the audience wants because look at like Sharknado. They made right. Sharknado 2 as bad as the first one because the audience loved how bad it was. In a way, it proffers an inferior product because the inferior product is more fun than if we made it good.
2: There does have to be uh, a certain magical element there. It doesn't always work and it fails more often than not. Like I've seen a bunch of movies where they tried to be intentionally bad and they ended up just being bad. So uh, there are ones that come along that are trying to be good, but through Uh, Just sheer idiocy of the director. It's more honest. Yeah, that's the thing. And that's why they work. And that's why the the movies like Birdemic and The Room and whatnot are so much, I guess you could say, better than the Mm -hmm. ones that are trying to be bad. It's that they're bad, but they're trying to be good. And that's what makes them funny. And that's what makes them uh, y- that you could watch them over and over again is because there is an uh, element of legitimacy to it. They weren't trying to make garbage. Sharknado, the first one, they weren't really trying to to do a good, bad thing. They were just trying to make another asylum film. And it happened to take off. Because if you looked at all the movies that came out, I mean, there was Ghost Shark and all these other shark ones. And that just happened to be the one that caught mainstream attention. And so they decided to follow up on that with the sequel, which, surprisingly enough, they figured out the right way of putting it together and making another successful one.
0: That market out there and, you know, they'll keep going on and sci-fi will keep churning out these really bad movies. Occasionally, there's a, a diamond out in there you know i mean there was one that i watched a few years ago called mammoth that i liked a lot and you know it it had that right mix of self-awareness and cheesiness so i mean i think there's some good ones here and there but and I, i but i totally agree with the whole idea of people that are more sincere tend to make the the better bad movies you know birdemic and the room definitely stand out because they were just so completely wrong-headed and made for all the right reasons (laughs) rather than just kind of cashing in you know doing snakes on a train instead of snakes on a plane so things are just going to keep doing their thing you know going their way i mean before sci-fi was doing these they were being thrown out onto home video so the market's been there for a long time
1: and see i i I agree that the market has been there and I just don't think it works when you go into the movie going, this movie is so bad, it's good. Not to hit your title again, Cecil, but I don't agree that there are good, bad flicks. Either you like, either it's a good movie or it's not. Maybe it has bad special effects and bad acting. To me, that still makes it a good movie. That doesn't make it a good, bad movie. I've never liked that, that whole, it's so bad, it's good. I, I, I've always had problems with that, that circle back.
2: I wasn't, uh, when I initially came up with it, I wasn't going with a uh, so bad it's good, which I had found out, you know, in years subsequently of doing this, that that was what the general perception was of the whole it's so bad it's good, which back in 2010 when I I started the show, I mean, the so bad it's good thing wasn't really used anywhere near as much as it is now. I was going more upon the idea that, These are good movies that are perceived as bad, which is why I went with good – well, I originally was trying to do good, bad movies, but somebody already owned the domain for that, so I went with good, bad flicks. But as far as movies that are so good or so bad they're good – I think there are. I mean, I've God knows I've seen enough of them where uh, I've gotten a vast amount of enjoyment out of them for all the wrong reasons. Like the the remake of The Wicker Man is hilarious. The 2004 Catwoman is hilarious. They just they make fantastic comedies. And see, I don't
1: even look at look at like the Catwoman one like that. I look at that and go, this is an awful movie and I'm going to go do something else like, you know, file my fingernails into points and gouge my eyes out.
0: Thank you guys. I think this has been a really nice conversation. It's been good to kind of go over all this stuff. So it's, uh, it definitely been a lot of fun. And I, I I think that I'm okay with a lot of the things that I like, um, and have lights kind of coming out to life to, to light, to the, uh, mainstream. It, It would be cooler if some of it was still my baby, but, uh, I'm okay seeing some of this, these things come out there because, you know, I, I never would have seen an Avengers movie or an Iron Man movie. I mean, when I was growing up, I, we had those horrible cartoons where they were just barely animated. So being able to see millions of dollars being thrown on screen and actual good movies kind of coming out of it, I'm we okay with that. We did get to
1: that. see Reb Brown wearing a Captain America motorcycle
0: helmet.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, we did. And fight Christopher Lee. <sighs>
0: Yeah. That's so like awesome. I said, I mean, Winter Soldier, I was totally on board with. So I definitely think that we have uh, to quote Virginia Slim's come a long way, baby.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with Mike. Actually, it was it was a pleasure talking to you again. And we haven't chatted God for months uh, the last time we had you on here. So it was nice chatting with you. But um, I, I think that uh, in general, there are ebbs and flows with entertainment things science fiction will be popular now being a geek is popular now uh who knows where it's going to be in a couple years comic book movies are huge now but there was a time in the 90s when uh disaster flicks uh twister dante's peak volcano all those movies were huge and now where are they so what's popular now Ten years from now, uh, who knows what it'll be? So... Unfortunately,
0: some of those have kind of morphed into science fiction movies. When you look at something like uh, *Man of Steel*, where it's like, "How can we destroy the city in a very different way?"
1: <laughs> yeah, Cecil. So I I I don't know if Mike agrees with me, but yeah, *Man of Steel* was a piece of crap, and I have seen it. I just hated it.
2: Well, if I don't want to don't want to get into that. That
1: bitch fest again. I think I presented my argument
2: uh, my, pretty well on that. And uh, I know, uh, you know, it's, it, but.
1: You it, lost, you lost that argument no, like
2: a man. No, I didn't lose the argument. I, I said, we'll have to agree to disagree. Oh, I'm didn't losing the argument. I didn't mean, to touch, a,
0: I didn't oh, mean yeah. to touch a nerve. I was just bringing up the whole idea of
2: oh, you know, you, disaster no, you totally movies did.
0: morphing into sci-fi or uh, superhero films.
2: No, no, no. it's it's not an episode uh, unless me and Josh disagree on something. Okay. Or actually, <laughs> of course
1: you do, Cecil. Disagree on several things. Yes. So yes, I'm a I'm a curmudgeon. I'm a I'm a angry, crusty old man. But I, I just think this stuff, as it goes more mainstream, it gets dumbed down, and I, and I think somehow we moved from sci-fi or the genre as kids' stuff into it being taken seriously and then now it's back to kids stuff to a degree again and yeah i know this episode was kind of all over the place but you know having a free a kind of free balling a focused free balling episode i think works so where can we find mike white projecting his booth
0: uh, i'm over at uh, projectionboothpodcast.com or you can follow me on twitter at impossible funky
1: what about cecil t
2: robot You can find me over at goodbadflicks.com as well as geekjuicemedia.com.
1: And you can find my hipster ass at 1201beyond.com and contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Just remember, guys. It's not cool just because it's cool, it's cool because it's good. I think you're so important
0: because you can vote. You want a guitar and you can't get my unknown. Your 70s nostalgia is making me white. I had your chance. now it's our time. I'm really, really sensitive, it has a funny sound. The world is crazy, my be, when you're so happy down. I'm really sick of you and your pleasurable scum. The better ones are black, you're, but you you're in even slower. So you are the man, the 20 of the dream, all the sports you play, a super-actory, BAH!